Right now, 34 degrees at 1 o'clock. We're going to uh, shift gears a little bit here at the station. And uh, uh, this is the month of March. And March is uh, National Nutrition Month. We're kind of inviting everybody to uh, learn about making informed food choices, developing healthy eating and uh, physical activity habits. And to that end, we want to welcome into the the show today uh, Paula Montagna, a registered dietitian and Stony Brook Southampton Hospital Director of Nutrition. Paula, thank you for spending a little time with us today. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, this is uh, this is good. It's a nice time of year to people. Uh, obviously, it's a good time of. It's always a good time for people to be eating well and uh, thinking about nutrition. But as we come out of the winter and kind of move into the spring and head towards the summer and stuff, people kind of want to uh, do a little more outside, maybe a little bit more active. And nutrition can play a big part in that. How did uh, let's uh, introduce you a little bit to the listeners, uh, uh, Paula? How did you become interested in food and nutrition? So I um, I always was interested in food and I'm always interested in learning about how food interacts and works with my body. So I've been a registered dietitian about 34 years and I just remember wanting to just explore more food, always cooking, always interested in learning about nutrition. So it all just uh, came together. Uh, it's probably been a lot of changes you've seen in all those years, those uh, decades of doing it, how people uh, look at diet, uh, how they look at nutrition, how they look at dieting, and how they look about the uh, relationship of food in their bodies. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about some of the changes you've seen? Oh, it's very interesting. So I started in about 1988, and in about 1990, there was this whole um, concern about bad fats and good fats and heart disease, and mm. they weren't looking at the whole picture that we see now. Like as nutrition has evolved, it's really been looking more closely at not just what people eat, but what happens in their body and how their bodies react to different foods. So there was the basic four food group when I was in college, and then it moved to the pyramid one way, and then the pyramid got put on the side, and um, fats were the bad guy, and then carbs were the good guy, and then people were eating too many carbs and gaining too much weight, so they kind of realized that um, I don't really think a one size, one approach really fits. It's really about what's good for one's own body. That's true. They went to the point of uh, people that were doing no carbs at all and uh, trying just about everything, just all kinds of crazy diets. And uh, I guess, uh, like you said, uh, what worked for somebody may not work for, uh, for somebody else. Yeah, you're correct. I mean, I really think it's, it, there should be no exclusions of foods and food groups. It just should be how your body reacts to the foods, what's best for you, what are your likes and dislikes, what carbohydrates make your body feel better, what things you should avoid. But it all still stems back to healthy, whole foods, not so much processed food. And that's the other big thing that happened in the last um, 30 years is the food industry has completely changed. It's all about, the con- um, not so much about the consumer consumer, but what is making yield on the food, what foods are easy and cheap to make, what foods make people crave foods and want more foods. So it's really has really changed to be more of you can't recognize what's in the grocery store and you can't recognize these fake colors and fake additives and preservatives. Mm. But at the same time, we've also seen a proliferation of different farmers markets and uh, ways for people to get uh, direct farm to uh, to table sort of food also at the same time. Yes, I mean, I I love living on the East End because I feel like we have such a plethora of good farmer's markets, good um, entrepreneurial uh, people that are making good um, raw sauerkraut and healthy low-carb or different grains of breads and healthy teas and, you know, 
the industry really is exploding out here, and it's really exciting to go to the farmers markets and really see all these people having so much interest in organic food, so much interest in making healthy foods, and really kind of really competition for the grocery stores because it really takes the foods and say, hey, these are the whole foods. This is what you should eat, and this is an exciting way to prepare them. So it's very exciting when you see a lot of um, opportunity at our fingertips to get healthy foods, to get the community-supported agricultural programs, just to go out and get fresh vegetables. Local and seasonal is really the best for your body and um, your circadian rhythm. So it's really interesting when we we have so much available, we really just need to take advantage of it. Yeah, we're, we're, we are very fortunate out here on the East End. I think a lot of smaller communities are. It's, uh, it gets depressing when you, especially I would think as the, uh, a registered dietitian uh, uh, studying uh, nutrition and whatnot, look at some of the areas that don't have these options that are uh, considered what they'd call food deserts these days. And uh, people are buying you know their foods in little uh, convenience stores or bodegas or whatnot, and it's, uh, it's, it's starting to have large ramifications for the overall health of the country, the, the, the citizenry. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think it really impacts their, um, you know, their body, their body weight, their availability of the foods, and uh, unfortunately, sometimes it's hard because of um, different income levels to get people to see that the vegetables and fruits are the way to go because they're looking for the cheap things. So sometimes that's very upsetting. And if they don't even have the farms near them, that's another big problem that um, that people experience because they can't get the fresh, local, healthy produce. Yeah, it's sort of a strange conundrum that the uh, the fresh local produce can oftentimes be more expensive than the packaged stuff that's packaged and sent across the country and frozen and sitting in the aisle there. It's, uh, it can sometimes be more expensive to buy the fresh local stuff, but obviously it's got more of a nutritional value to it. Yes, and it's, it's interesting, though. I think that um, the farmers do a great job here through the East End Food Institute to get some of the food to the food pantries that is the surplus of their um, fruits and vegetables. So I really think that's a great opportunity for our, our, um, our local people just to get in the good stuff in different ways. So mm. that's exciting that's happening at the East End Food Institute. Uh, one thing we've also seen in the last uh, few years, couple decades, if you will, is the proliferation of different plant-based foods, either uh, uh, to make to uh, look or taste like a, uh, a meat product or something like that, but a lot of uh, plant-based foods and a lot of options to meat and uh, uh, things like that. But uh, I think that, uh, judging by what you said earlier, there's a place for kind of all those elements to fit into a good diet, a healthy diet. There is, but I get concerned when you're trying to make a, a fake meat item if it's full of soy and soy products or it's full of additives and preservatives because the body doesn't recognize the additives and preservatives. And when we take that in the form of a vegan or a vegetarian item or even just a potato chip, these foreign items puts a lot of havoc and inflammation in the body and the body doesn't recognize it. Mm. But if you're talking about something made with a whole beans or peas, protein or something, so there's definitely variations on it, but you always want to look towards as much whole foods as possible, trying to just food, use food in its natural form and create your meals based on whole fruits and vegetables, whole legumes, whatever source of protein you want, you want to try and make sure it's the best, healthiest um, product that you can get. That's true. I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of changes in the uh, vegetarian foods where it used to be just try to get something that looks like a burger and tastes somewhat like a burger and who cares what's in it, how much soy you put into it, what, what preservatives are. And now it's kind of gone the other direction where there's a lot of uh, uh, other companies that are using like whole grains and whatnot to make much healthier alternatives uh, that are uh, kind of food, al uh, uh, meat alternatives, vegetable-based meat alternatives that actually can be quite healthy. 
Yes, and you, but you look at them and you can see, like you can see, if you, you take the time to read the food label, you're going to find what's in it. And if it's just a black bean burger with black beans and sweet potatoes and maybe some quinoa or farro, that's great. But if it's loaded with soy, like you said, or loaded with these fake flavors or smoke or something, then it's kind of really just defeating the whole purpose. Right, right, right. Um, how about, uh, uh, well, let's get to that idea then. If you're having, if you're using a vegetable-based alternative to a meat, are there certain um, things you should look for when you're buying meat? If you like the idea of eating meat and not the vegetable-based alternative of it, are there healthier ways to eat meat? Well, you want it as much as possible um, by uh, grass-fed or organic kind of meats, which is sometimes out of people's reach. So if you're only able to buy conventional meat, I would say kind of limiting it to once or twice a week. Mm. Um, but there are definitely benefits of having red meat. There's definitely benefits of having poultry and eggs. So there's benefits from those items if your body tolerates it well. If your desires are for those type of things, it's good to be as much as possible. You try and get back to more um, organic or healthier versions of the meat. So when the animal is under stress, there's going to be some stress hormones in the meat if it's processed conventionally. And if it's un not under stress, you're going to have something that maybe the animal was uh, grazing in the yard and they're going to get more nutrients or more like the food that they should be eating when they're growing, not the, um, the grain-fed combined um, and combined in a, um, in a pen or something. So. Right. Is it possible to have a, a healthy diet that uh, you don't eat meat, you don't eat poultry? Uh, yes, it is possible. Um, I do like more of the uh, flexitarian type of approach, um, but it is possible. You can be a smart um, vegetarian or a smart vegan and take the right supplements to go with the food. You just have to be smart about it and understand this is the nutrients, I'm getting it, what is it doing to my body? Because not all bodies do best with a vegan diet. Not all bodies do best with a high processed diet. So it's kind of like you have to look and see what your body is doing, what you're craving, what feels the best. And if you try out a certain diet and after a while that's not working for you um, because of nutrient deficiencies or feelings of tiredness or fatigue or getting ill, then it's kind of like not the right approach for you. Right. And I guess uh, people do uh, dieting for different reasons. Some people might be dieting to uh, feel healthier, get a healthier diet. Some people might be dieting to lose weight. And uh, those might be, uh, the, they might actually work together. And sometimes they might actually, you might do them in separate ways. Um, is BMI still considered a, uh, a way to, uh, to look at uh, how you're doing health-wise and how your body is? Uh, we kind of use the BMI as a starting point. But you can have a very in-shape person that has a very high muscle mass that the BMI is not going to be accurate. Mm. Um, and you can have someone that um, is very, very underweight when you can actually see malnutrition. So the malnutrition piece of it, it's definitely beneficial to understand the BMI. But that's not the total measure of it. You can have a skinny person that does not have a healthy insight, and you can have an overweight person that has an healthy insight. So it's all about what's going on in your body. Is there inflammation? Is there lack of bowel movements? Is there um, stress, producing stress hormones? Is there insulin resistance from diabetes? So there's so many things that goes into a healthy diet that the BMI is just something we look at, but something that's not to be overly focused and stressed. It's more, it's, I hate for people to stress on the numbers. I more mm. would like people to have a proactive approach to what can I do to have a healthier eating style today? What can I do to move forward? What can I do for my daily choices that are health supportive instead of contraindicated for health? 
Right, actually looking at a little bit more of a comprehensive look at it as opposed to just the numbers. And I think uh, that can be a problem too when people just want to lose weight and they're just uh, focusing on losing weight and counting calories. And that's not always the best way to do it either, is it? Well, that's just concerning because when we count calories, you can, um, you can count calories and uh, come up with a very, very small number and a very not healthy diet. Right. And some foods that are... Um, like carbohydrates, for instance, some people do very well absorbing ingesting carbohydrates and some people don't do as well. So it's kind of like you have to really see how does my body react to things? What is my, um, what is my ultimate goal? But if my ultimate goal, if you want to put in more fruits and vegetables, that's really the best way to go. You kind of have to say what's a healthy diet and a healthy diet should be whole foods and it really should be plant-based, meaning that at least half to 75% of the food that you're eating should be plant-based, whether it's seeds, nuts, legumes, vegetables, fruits, all these things are the things that your body needs because it's loaded with antioxidants, polyphenols, phytochemicals, all these good chemicals and colors in the foods is what our body craves and what our body needs for the processes in our body. And when we get those things and you balance that, those are the healthy foods. And we, we really can't overduce and eat too many calories of broccoli. <laughs> um, but we can eat the healthy foods first and kind of work towards what else is on my plate that I can kind of eat to kind of fill myself up. Right. Now, what if you don't have a very healthy diet? You're happy with your diet. Can you take vitamins or supplements? Do they help to kind of uh, kick in some of the good stuff that you're missing in your food? It's very interesting. So I used to work at Sloan Kettering um, for about seven years, and we were always told that food first. Food's the most important thing. When the scientists look and come out with something like a supplement, like a vitamin C, they kind of understand that the person needs this, but it's everything about the food that's given the most benefit. The food works synergistically with all the components in the fruit over the, the supplement. So supplements are not a pill or the answer because the bad diet is what's going to pull your body in the wrong direction. They pull your body into inflammation, um, in stress, into obesity. So that bad diet can't be solved with a pill. Right. Um, I was, it was a, a study that came out, uh, actually just came out today. I saw it. Be, it was a link between uh, vitamin D and COVID-19, and they found that people who don't get enough vitamin D are more likely to have severe cases of coronavirus. However, a vast majority of Americans don't have a vitamin D deficiency, so it may not help you to uh, load up on vitamin D if you're trying to do that to try to fight coronavirus. The best answer is that it's usually a deficiency that some of these studies are looking at. So it's looking, the best answer is really to try and get your vitamin D checked regularly, at least annually by your, um, your health practitioner and to understand what your level is and see if it's in the range. There's optimal ranges for these vitamins and if we're not at that optimal range, sometimes our body suffers. So if your body was not optimal, then you would kind of take a supplement. But you'd also have to look at what's going on in the sunshine, how much are you in the sunshine, because your body does produce vitamin D in the sun as well. Right. And obviously this time of year, we're spending a little more time inside than we are outside. So people might be having a, uh, you could have a, a vitamin D deficiency in the winter and be okay in the summer, correct? Correct. And you can have a supplement need that's a little bit lower, like a regular daily dose in the summer because you're outside so much. 
um, in a different dose when you're in the winter. But also sunscreen also kind of makes a mask on that um, production of the vitamin D. So it's oh. really good to see your number and not chase numbers, mm -hmm. but understand your numbers and understand what's going on and kind of work with your practitioner to kind of understand, hey, this is where my body's at. You don't want to be deficient because that could open up the case for more severe illnesses, but you want to be at the right level and you want to really monitor it. So there actually is a place for the vitamins and the supplements. If you have a deficiency and you're not able to get it through normal food or you're not getting it through normal food, there is actually some value to having those. Some people need supplementation, definitely. It just really depends on who you are, what your body, how is your body absorbing the nutrition you're taking in, what your body is lacking in. So it's really a matter of understanding your body, understanding your prevention strategies to try and be healthy. And if you're working or dealing with a chronic disease, to try and understand where that stems in terms of what's going on in my body in terms of my vitamins. Because it's not just the vitamin D, but there's other things that we really look at to try and make sure the person is healthy. And of course, the other half of uh, a nutritious life is not just what you're putting in, but what you're doing also. What sort of healthy activities are you doing? Uh, how, how is your nutrition working with those activities and how's your body improving because of it? Um, I know one thing that people tend to do is uh, use protein powders and protein bars um, around times of exercising. Uh, what do they do and are they safe and healthy to use? I, I'm, I'm very supportive of protein powders. They do have a place. They're not meant to replace whole healthy foods, but they can be a supplement if someone is um, at looking for a certain goal to gain um, muscle mass or to work in a healthy diet. You know, it's very hard sometimes for people to get enough protein in to have enough time to balance meals. And sometimes I feel like even just the elderly population, if they're not eating that well, sometimes we can't chew as well when we get older or we shy away from meat or sometimes patients undergoing certain treatments get different tastes in their mouth. So sometimes protein supplements really can help people um, get the adequate protein they need because protein is such a building block for our immunity to keep our immune system strong. Um, it has vital nutrients like zinc and all the amino acids in the proteins, and it also just helps improve and keep our muscle mass. So if you're anyone that's suffering with any kind of illness, you really want to make sure that protein is one of the, the stars on your plate because you want to make sure you get adequate amounts just to kind of keep your immunity and your muscle mass as intact as possible. So would you suggest it as a supplement for somebody who's uh, working out? It really depends because some of the pro protein powders that are working out are such a gimmick. I mean, you come and you see these huge containers of <laughs> protein powders that are like $50 and you wonder, is this in it? Is it a health supportive item? What protein source is it? Is it something my body tolerates? Is it something that has additives and preservatives in it? It's kind of like, it's kind of, it's very interesting. I mean, it's like, why are we trying to gain muscle mass? Because usually the people that are working out in the gym also are very good about trying to eat healthy too because they're kind of putting the two and two together. Yeah. So it really depends on how your, what your body's needs are and what you're trying to achieve. Uh, that's true. You might have something that's labeled a protein bar, but when you look at how much sugar is actually in it, it can be a little bit frightening. It might actually uh, be, uh, uh, it might defeat the purpose. Yes, and sometimes, like we look at, sometimes we also look at these green juices or green powders because mm. people don't like to eat vegetables. And if they're not organic, it's a concentrated source of pesticides as well as the green. So it's kind of like you have to really look and understand what you're buying and what you're spending your, 
your food dollars on to make sure it's something that's really health supportive for you. Yeah, I see these ones on TV. They're in like a, a jar and you get a whole bunch of little pills. It tells you they're going to have all your all your vegetables and fruit in one little pill or two little pills a day. And uh, it, that just seems a little suspect. Yeah, because you're not getting the fiber, the phytochemicals, the antioxidants, you know, the good polyphenols that your body is craving. Because if you look at your body processes in your body, even your liver requires certain nutrients to help clean and detoxify your body. So if you don't have these kind of vitamins and minerals coming in for the different pathways that support our brain, support our heart, support our blood vessels, if you don't have these certain nutrients in, your body's going to be like, hey, where is that? It's missing. Mm. What, what's going on? These nutrients are missing, and then your body is more in a state of inflammation. Right, right, right. Uh, going along that line, what about uh, gut health and probiotics? Is there a value in probiotics? You know, it's very interesting. The research has definitely took a little bit of a turn. One of the things we like to support before we support a probiotic ingestion is to look at the person overall and see what you're doing. Are you someone that gets cold and flus regularly? Are you having bronchitis this time of year when the seasons change? Or do you have adequate bowel movements? But when we look at the science, what we're finding is that um, it's great to have a... Um, a prebiotic. So prebiotics are actually the good food that feeds the good bacteria in our gut. And they usually say the first line of defense is prebiotics because I want to really nourish my good bacteria in my gut. But if you're someone that's very sick or been on antibiotics, you have to, you might have to replace it with a probiotic. So the prebiotic is the good foods, the fruits, the vegetables, um, the fibers like the legumes. When we cook and cool and heat um, rice, potatoes, legumes, it makes a um, resistant starch, and that's fuel for the good bacteria in our gut. The probiotics come from the um, raw sauerkraut, the yogurts, the probiotic pills. So there's a place for both. You just want to have a good balanced diet and those good healthy um, bacteria floating through your body so it can produce a healthy bowel movement and keep your immunity up. So there is a place for probiotics, but you really need to start with stemming back, looking at your diet, trying to make your diet healthy and health supportive to bring in the fibers and the nutrients before we just jump to a probiotic. Is that pill that's going to solve the problem? Because no pills really solve the problem. It's really the comprehensive health diet that does. Yeah, I think there's a lot of co confusion a lot of times. People are on antibiotics and wondering, should I be taking a probiotic with this? Should I wait until afterwards? Are they completely unrelated? They just sound the same? But it sounds like they are uh, similar. They're, they're opposite ends of the coin, right? The flip side of a coin? Yeah, the, the, the antibiotics really does wipe out your good bacteria. So it definitely, there is a point where you do need to replace your good bacteria and try and get your own good bacteria to kind of develop again. So there is a definite role for the probiotics, um, but you really need to have one that's really like a broad spectrum, a, a lot of components to it. So it's, it's, very, um, it's very important that, and you also can't take it the same time you're taking your antibiotics. So it either has to be several hours at a different time or even just... Um, after you finish the, the antibiotic. But it's very, very, a lot of things uh, interrupt our good microbiome in our body, including stress, including medications, including, um, you know, our poor diets. All these things affect our uh, good bacteria, which then in turn affects our immunity and affects our, um, you know, our body's processing and keeping us healthy. Yeah. Do you think the, um, all the uh, processed food that uh, we've kind of uh, come to be a real staple of our diet, a large part of a lot of people's diets, do you think that it's uh, helping to increase the amount of type 2 diabetes we're seeing? 
Um, I think so. I think what happens with the, the type 2 diabetes, it's, it's a few different things. One is that whole body of inflammation. So inflammation is the body's reaction to try and heal the body. So it sends out all these inflammatory messages to try and calm things down. But the other thing is sometimes these foods, they you don't um, realize you're, you're eating, you don't get full, you don't get satisfied. So it kind of that high fructose corn syrup and processed foods and additives and preservatives makes us crave some of these foods so we eat them more often we eat them more and then our body gets larger and we have what we call insulin resistance when the body's own insulin is not working properly because the signals are crossed so when you have insulin resistance that leads to um, abdominal obesity and that is like the beginning of the, the type 2 diabetes and unfortunately it also affects our heart and things like that so it's kind of like the, the processed diet, the weight gain, the insulin resistance also affects our heart, not just the diabetes. It's also the number one problem with, you know, that is inflammation and the inflammation is creating havoc for our heart and our and our waistline and our insulin. It sounds like it all kind of builds upon one another and uh, just general inflammation seems to be the main uh, uh, problem there. Have you had any luck uh, helping people with type 2 diabetes, kind of uh, almost curing it through uh, nutrition? Well, it, it's very important to understand that that, that the most important thing is trying to bring in the healthy whole foods and trying to um, curb the cravings. So sometimes when you start out with a sugary or a carb-loaded breakfast, you kind of crave carbs throughout the day. And when you eat carbs and you want more carbs, your diet ends up turning from a healthy diet into a very carb-laden um, diet. So the best thing for a diabetic to do is to try and understand their food signals and their food messages and what foods are best to keep them satisfied and trying to just up the protein and monitor the carbs and see which carbs or hydrates work best for them. Like the sweet potatoes and the brown rice and the legumes are better choices than the french fries and the, um, the bagels. So when we try and put that in perspective and say, okay, half your plate still needs to be vegetables. I want you to be healthy. I want you to eat healthy food. I want you to reduce the processed food because that causes the inflammation in the body. Then we see great results in kind of getting the numbers better for the that's, diabetes. That's so hard to do, huh? People are used to eating a certain way for decades and decades and being told, yeah, uh, now you got to change it. But it's, but it's, it's for the good. But... If you do it this way, you won't have to have uh, you won't have to take this pill, or you won't have to have insulin injections, whatever it is. The uh, trade-off, and hopefully, you'll also have a longer, healthier life. Yeah. Well, it's interesting when we look at the um, the blue zones, which is the Mediterranean diet and the study of the Mediterranean diet, and people that live in certain areas of the world. These blue zones show us people that live to 100, and when mm. they live to 100, they're not eating processed food. They're exercising every day. They're getting up with a purpose. They're um, making most of their meals from these vegetables, the legumes, the whole grains, the seafood. So they're making their diet choices, healthier choices, but they're also active. They're also having stress relief during the day. So when you have all these components and you look at where these people are doing so well, we wonder how can we bring that to our own life? Mm. And that's where you said before, like exercise comes in, healthy eating comes in, but also stress management, sleep, better sleep, um, looking at your whole, your whole picture and trying to say, what can I do for myself that's health supportive? How is this item that I'm eating or what is this behavior that I'm doing that's not health supportive? How can I turn it around and make more of a positive approach? 
Right. Um, I hear a lot about the Mediterranean diet. Is that, a, is that, I mean, I know, like you said earlier, everybody's got their own specific diet based on who they are and how their body processes certain foods. But it seems that the Mediterranean diet gets brought up a lot as almost a, uh, a gold standard of what a, uh, a good, healthy diet is. Yes, and when we look at the Mediterranean diet, it's not even just that it's the, only the Mediterranean people are, are doing it because there's Mediterranean diet focus is on the vegetables and good sources of healthy lean proteins and getting in the good nutrients without the processed foods. So the Asian eating style can be focused on the Mediterranean style as well as um, the black American style of eating. You just have to tailor things to be focusing on vegetables, not a lot of processed fats, not a lot of sodium, not a lot of sweets, and you're kind of, all those diets are really what the focus is. The focus is on healthy eating and the balance of your foods being healthy whole foods. The cooking, the cooking and understanding where you're getting things from is the most important thing. So I can get a really healthy food that is not classic Mediterranean that still fits in the Mediterranean style. If half my plate is vegetables, if it's a a lean piece of grilled protein or even a piece of fish or even a um, black bean burger, you can still get in that nutrition of the style of the Mediterranean and still have the flavors from the different ethnicities. Yeah, I don't know if the kids still do the uh, food pyramid in school or not, but it seems like the pyramid might have been changed. You said earlier it's kind of gotten turned on its side at times as people have kind of tried to adjust it and uh, understand it better. But it seems the basics are still there. You know, a lot of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, things like that. And uh, what are some of the other uh, uh, good food choices that like when you are trying to figure out something, okay, I want to start new. I'm at the store right now. What can I pick up? What are some good ideas to try to uh, get yourself eating better? You know, you really have to look at what's catching your eye nature-wise. So the bright, colorful fruits and vegetables, the green foods have sulforaphane, which is one of the targeted nutrients in um, in the green foods that when you bite into something, it has that bitter taste. Those bitter tastes are great for two reasons. One, it kicks our liver into action to help detoxify our body, but it also kind of counterbalances that sweet need and that sweet taste. And unbelievably, if you don't eat sweets in the morning and you kind of focus on these bitter foods, it kind of helps us not crave sweets in the afternoon. And it's really just the the satisfaction from the plate that you're eating. Can my plate be filled with a good amount of protein and a good amount of healthy fats? The avocados, the um, seeds and nuts, the good uh, olive oils, um, the good avocado oil, those are great ways to get the satisfaction in. And then you'd want to tantalize people with the colorful fruits and vegetables because every color from red, yellow, orange to even brown has good nutrients in it if you're using these healthy vegetables from the vegetable aisle. So focusing in on the vegetable aisle, good sources of protein, and really just the healthy fats is a real good way to kind of like get yourself started in eating. And it doesn't have to be the grocery store. Like you said, our farmer's markets are amazing out here. And it's really great to go into a seasonable market and you can get purple potatoes and you could get purple cauliflower or golden cauliflower. So it's, it's very exciting um, to see when you see these different colors and these different colors have a little bit different mix of the antioxidants and the polyphenols. And we know those are the great components for our body. And when you see those great components, it's like, wow, this is exciting for, for my body. And this is what my body is craving. All right. 
Uh, Paula Montagna, the uh, Stony Brook Southampton Hospital Director of Nutrition. Thank you for spending a little time with us today. This is uh, National Nutrition Month. Uh, trying to get people to eat a little healthier, think about what they're putting in their bodies. And uh, if a listener had any questions or maybe wants to uh, set up an appointment, how would they get in touch with you? Okay, so we, um, I, I can be contacted through the Wellness Institute, which is our um, program at the hospital. The number is 631-726-8800. So I do a monthly nutrition class on um, Tuesdays, the second Tuesday of the month at 8.30 when we focus in on food as medicine or trying to use the powers of the healthy food to heal and support our body. So that's um, once a month, but I also do nutrition counseling as well. All right. Well, thank you, Paula, uh, for uh, spending a little time with us this afternoon and uh, helping us uh, think about getting a little bit uh, better shape. Again, that phone number is 631-726-8800. Thank you, Paula. Thank you, Chris. It was very nice talking to you. And everyone have a wonderful nutrition month. And let's look towards the spring to kind of get back into those farmers markets and things. So it's really exciting. Sounds like a good idea. Thanks, Paula. Thanks. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye